as part of our vision as a church, as a faith family, to reverberate in this valley and to see the glory of God fill this valley like the waters fill the sea. We want to uh, periodically let you in on some people in our faith family who are making disciples and making a difference. I'm so happy for you to be able to see what Andy and Heather are doing. Amazing things. They are uh, just really knocking it out of the park and leveraging their lives for uh, kingdom issues, for, the, for what Jesus came to do. And uh, so we're excited to see them reverberate and excited to, see, to, uh, sh- to share that with you. So when you uh, see Andy and Heather, you uh, give them a special uh, encouragement, pat on the back, pray for them. They're really doing some big things with their lives. And they're just one of uh, many at Trinity. And uh, we want you to be able to see who those families are. And so from time to time, we're going to bring them before you and let you be encouraged by the difference that's being made uh, in this valley through this faith family. Uh, Foster care, it's a big subject. It's something that I believe God is doing right now in Trinity. And uh, just one small action, if you're like, wow, I'd like to do something about uh, foster kids. Uh, We have someone who, as a result of a reverberate message a few weeks ago, uh, started a fundraiser, raising, uh, shooting to raise $2,500. This is Nicole Oges. She's got a website. Uh, For $25, you can buy a duffel bag and fill it up with the necessities that a kid needs when they go from one house to another. And her vision is uh, 100 bags. And you've got information in your worship folder on how to connect with Nicole. If that's something that you'd like to do, then you can be part of reverberating in this valley as well. Making disciples and making a difference. Let me invite you now to uh, take your Bibles and open them to the book of Ruth. We're in a study just the second week, so if this is your first Sunday back, uh, that's okay. You've, you can do some catching up online, but uh, in the book of Ruth, a study called Faithful. So as you open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, I want to do a little bit of catching, catching you up in our study. Last week, in our very first study in Ruth, uh, we met someone who had hit rock bottom. It wasn't Ruth. It was a woman named Naomi. This is Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And some people think that uh, this book, these four chapters, should actually be called the book of Naomi because in many ways, this is Naomi's story that we read. And Naomi had grown up in Bethlehem, uh, but when famine hit Bethlehem, her husband took her and their two sons and moved them to a foreign country a pagan country that didn't follow the true God, a country to the east named Moab. And, and ironically, her husband's plan to rescue the family blew up in that act of faithlessness, and he died in Moab. Things never went like they were supposed to. Her sons died then in Moab, and she is left alone, this woman named Naomi. She's left alone in a strange land, Her grief, compounded by loneliness. Just her and her two foreign daughters-in-law, the girls that her sons had married before they died. And to fully appreciate her pain, we need to remember that in that day, women depended on men for their survival. Now, I play a game with the women in my life. I have a wife, five daughters, 
a daughter-in-law, and now a granddaughter. So I have a lot of women in my life. And whenever they need a jar opened, or a spider killed, or a suitcase carried up the stairs, and they ask me for help, I say, okay, well, what, you, what do you say? And they say, I need a man. <laughs> and I say, thank you, and, and I help them. And I know it's not nice. It's true, isn't it? I know it's not nice. And I know it's a very unfeminist thing to, to say. But when there's, an, when there's a spider in your bedroom, you will say, I need a man. Well, in those days, you actually did need a man. A father, or a brother, or a husband, or sons. You needed a man to protect and provide for you. It was just how the world worked. So to fully appreciate Naomi's pain, to really hear her story, you have to hear this. At the very beginning of the book of Ruth, all of the men are wiped off the stage. There is no man in sight. Just a grieving widow, a sonless mother, and her two foreign daughters-in-law. Now today, that would be a sad story. But in that day, it was rock bottom. Rock bottom. So what do you do when you're at rock bottom? What do you do? How do you, how do you act when you're at the very bottom? We finished talking about times of turbulence this fall and looked at some great passages on, on who God is in times of turbulence. And uh, those times in our lives when things are out of control, when you lose your job or you lose your health or you lose someone that you love, you lose your sense of self and direction, when someone turns on you, someone close to you betrays you, or there's something that you're praying for and you're asking God for and you ask Him over and over to intervene in this way and nothing happens. Times of turbulence. What do you do when you're at that point in your life, when, when you're at rock bottom? How do you act? How do you treat other people? What do you ask of God? What do you do when your life is at rock bottom? This is where we find Naomi this morning, and it's what we're going to talk about this morning, how we conduct ourselves at rock bottom. And I wish I could say that today is the day that everything starts looking up for Ruth, that, that this is the week that her life turns around, or Naomi, that this is the, life that, uh, the week that Naomi's life turns around, but it's not going to happen yet. Naomi is going to pack up her bags and move back home, move back from Moab to Israel, to her hometown of Bethlehem, and things are going to get better, but not today. They don't get better today which makes what she does today all the more powerful because what we see her do today, she does when she is at rock bottom. What she says and how she behaves, she says and behaves at the very bottom of her life. And that's what makes her actions all the more instructive to us. And we're going to see two main principles in our passage this morning. Two main principles. One of them, Naomi does really well, and the other one... She has room for growth. We're going to look at both of those and then apply them to our own lives. So what I'd like to do is we're going to go ahead and read all of chapter 1 again. Last week 
we focused on the first seven verses, but this morning we're going to focus on verses 8 through the end of the chapter. We're going to go ahead for context's sake and begin right there in chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, you remember what that was like when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem, the house of bread in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while, just a while, in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth, and after they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's all the men gone. And when she heard in Moab that Yahweh had come to the aid of his people by providing for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living, set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May Yahweh show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because Yahweh's hand has gone out against me. And at this they wept again. And then Orpah kissed her, mother, goodbye, her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, this is to Ruth, who's clinging to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. She really uses the word, it's like, stop pressuring me. That's really what she says here. Stop pressuring me. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die and there I will be buried. May Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So, The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune.
misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So that's the, the first part of the story. That's chapter 1. And today Naomi makes it home. She makes it back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. But when she gets there, she is broken and empty. She's rock bottom. Verse 19 says that when Naomi walked into Bethlehem for the, whole, for the very first time and everybody saw her after what was at least 10 and maybe up to 20 years, the whole town stirred. Now the Hebrew word uh, stirred is what we call in English an onomatopoeia. Remember that word from, from uh, English class, that big long onomatopoeia. It's a word that means, uh, it's a word that the word itself sounds like what you're talking about, all right? So an example is the word buzz, buzz. Now I want everyone just for a minute to turn to the person beside you and say buzz half a dozen times. Say buzz. Okay, that's onomatopoeia. Now say the word hum, hum. Hum is another onomatopoeia. So he say hum, hum, hum. All right. The Hebrew word is the word hum, the whole town hummed. It stirred. When Pleasant came home, the whole town was humming because Naomi, whose name means pleasant, is back in town. So everyone says, Pleasant, Pleasant is back in town. Have you heard? Pleasant has come back off there all those years. And by the way, have you seen her? She looks, well, you just need to go see her. Okay? The whole town hummed. It was a common practice in those days to give your children names of qualities or traits, like pleasant. Uh, the pilgrims did the same thing. They named, pilgrims named their kids uh, names like remember or joy or constance. I have a book of uh, pilgrim names, and uh, it's interesting to, to read. Humility, patience. Now, the one I like the best is wrestling. Wrestling. I would love for one of my grandsons to be named Wrestling Henderson. All right? I just think that would be awesome. Wrestling. When I was in high school, I had a friend named Happy and another friend named Blue. And Happy, truth, was simple and Blue was a genius. And there's probably a lesson in, in those names. And and uh, while we're on the names of Rock Bottom and uh, interesting names, I actually there's a pastor out there that I hear of from time to time whose name is Rock Bottomly. Isn't that an awesome name? Uh, you, don't, you don't like it? Rock Bottomly? Yeah, Rock Bottomly. It's not as good as Wrestling Henderson, but I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Well, Naomi's name was Pleasant. But she, her life had become anything but. And when p- people made the pilgrimage to see their old friend Pleasant, the reaction was always the same. Is this Pleasant? Can this be Naomi? Apparently, a lot had changed in the 10 or 20 years that she was gone. Life had not been good to Pleasant. 
and she knew it. And she sees how their lives had moved on. Their husband didn't move them from Bethlehem. Their husband stuck it out there during the famine, and things got better, and their lives moved on. And her husband moved her, and her life fell apart. And so she sees how their lives have moved on, and, and she is struggling with what has happened to her. So she says this. Now we're looking at the end of the chapter, right? Verses 20 and 21. This is what Naomi says. She says, don't call me Naomi. Stop calling me pleasant. Uh, Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Stop calling me pleasant. Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. He's made my life bitter. I went away full, but when I came back, I was empty. She's She says, I want you to change my name from pleasant to bitter because bitter is what describes me. My life has been one bitter pill. And you want to know who caused it? I'll tell you who caused it. God. God has made my life very bitter. One translation puts it like this. Call me Mara because the Almighty has marred me bitterly. I went away full. I came back empty. God brought me back empty. So you can feel her despair. You can feel her pain. Which makes what she does next all the more remarkable and gives us really our first principle for how to conduct ourselves in times of rock bottom. And the principle, this is the one that Naomi does well. This is the one she does a good job at. That even at rock bottom, reeling from all of life's hardships, she treats the people around her with love and kindness. Even when life is at her worst, she's treating the people in her life with kindness. Now I want you to see that. We kind of glossed over what happened on the way back to Bethlehem. So let's go back and look at it. It begins in verse 7, all right, in chapter 1. Begins in verse 7. It says that that, uh, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living in Moab and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Remember that the word return is a key word in chapter 1. So they return back to the land of Judah. And Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, Listen, gals, you do not need to come with me. Don't come with me. Go back, each of you. I think we've got these passages up here, Daniel. Uh, Verse 8, go back, each of you, uh, to your mother's home. And may the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. She says, listen, you you ladies, you've got lives ahead of you. Don't come with me. Your life doesn't have to be over. My life, pretty much, you know, finished. But your life doesn't. So you go back. And, and she says, I want you to go. May the Lord show kindness to you. She prays for them. It's interesting that every prayer in the book of Ruth is an, every prayer in Ruth is answered. And every prayer in Ruth is for another person. No one in the book prays for themselves. They all pray for other people, and every prayer gets answered. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the house of another husband. She says to them, listen. You need a man. You need a man. You've got to find a husband. You've got to find rest, the security and stability that comes from having a husband in this world. So just go. And she's caring for them. She is still interested in their well-being. 
and they refused. So the next verse says uh, that she kissed them, and they wept, you know, and then they said to her, we're not going to go. We will go back with you to your people. That's what, the, uh, they, that's what they say in verse, uh, in verse 10. No, we're going to go back with you. And so she says, listen, no, I'm serious. The next set of verses. No, listen, you've got to go home. And they go back over this in verse 11. Return home. Why would you come with me? And this is where she goes into her, her big uh, speech about, um, about, I'm not going to get another husband and have some sons and you marry them. No, you really have to go. She knows what it's like to be a widow in a foreign land. She doesn't want these women, these two young girls with their futures ahead of them to have to go through what she's gone through. She says, no, really, you've got to go. And finally, we read in, in, uh, right after that in verse 14 that, okay, Orpah gets it. And Orpah says, okay, and she kisses uh, her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clings to her. So Orpah leaves, but Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere. And that word clings is the same word that's used in Genesis, where, where we're told that this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That's what Ruth does to Naomi. She clings to her like that. And she says, I'm not going anywhere. And then she says, so stop pressuring me. Don't say it again. I'm not going to go anywhere. And then, after she clings to her, she makes this dramatic statement of devotion and loyalty. And I think, I think we have that in our next slide. At this they wept again, Orpah kissed her mother. Next slide. And Ruth says this, where you go, she's clinging to Naomi, and she says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you, di- uh, where you die, I'll die. There I will be buried. And she, she s- s- swears an oath. <laughs> she says, God, curse me, do worst, you know, do terrible things to me if I don't keep this promise to, this, to, to my mother-in-law. And this is where we begin to see one of the themes that plays out in the book of Ruth. The, the, the theme of kind, loving behavior. Kind, loving. Now, Ruth is being kind to Naomi, but Naomi was kind first to Ruth. Naomi at rock bottom shows kindness to Ruth and is looking out for her interests and not her own. Now, you might think that it's reading too much into this uh, to, to say that it's a timeless principle that at rock bottom you act with kindness. But I think kindness is one of the themes of the book of Ruth. Uh, God is going to show kindness in Ruth. God shows kindness to the people who show kindness. Ruth is a book filled with kind people. There are no bad guys in the book of Ruth. A couple neutral people. Orpah, she's not bad. She's just at best kind of neutral. But, but there's so much kindness. And everyone who's kind in Ruth gets treated with kindness by God. God blesses kindness. The only bad guy in the book of Ruth is like fate. You know, that's, that's the bad guy. But all the people we meet are kind, decent people. Ruth is one of them. And Naomi, even at rock bottom, is one of them too. That's kind of amazing. Because if you knew me better, 
and some of you already know this about me, when I'm at rock bottom, I'm not the nicest person to be around. I'm not the nicest person to be around. I'm not looking out for everybody else. I'm looking out for me. After all, I'm having a hard time here. Okay? And that's what Philip Yancey says we all do in times of pain. He says, pain narrows vision. It forces us to think of ourselves and little else. But that's not how we see Naomi conducting herself. She's acting with love and kindness. And that's the first principle that that we see here, the the one that Naomi does well, that even in times of despair, she acts with love and kindness. It's a good reminder to all of us that even if things are hard on you, you can still act with kindness towards people. You're not seeing eye to eye with your spouse? Okay, that happens. You can still treat them with kindness. You're at odds with someone that you work with? Okay, you can still treat them with kindness. Your life is not shaping up like you'd hoped. All right, you don't have to take that out on everyone else. When you act with kindness, you're acting in a way that God can continue to bless. So, what do you do when you're at rock bottom? One thing you do is you continue to treat people around you with love and kindness. As a matter of fact, I was reading some this summer, and I came across some interesting research that says when a person is under stress, one of the most helpful things that they can do to help them alleviate stress and that that pressure that builds up in your body, one of the most beneficial things you can do is to show kindness to other people. And that that is one of the most therapeutic things that you can do as a person under stress. By caring for other people, you're actually helping yourself as well. And as a person under stress, who better to be empathetic with other people who are going through hard times? When you're in a hard time yourself, there's no one better equipped to show beautiful kindness to other people in need than you. So, we're reminded here that we can still act with kindness. That's the first principle. That's the one Naomi does. Well, there's a second principle here. It's an even bigger, more important principle. And it's one Naomi doesn't do as well at. Remember, during our study of turbulence, we said that when you're going through a time of hardship and struggle, that uh, what your most important resource is how you view God. Well, how does Naomi view God? How's she doing in that department here in chapter 1? Well, let's take a look. Here in verse, uh, you know, we kind of compiled a couple things she says. First of all, she says, The Lord's hand has gone out against me. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Well, when I read that, If I hear someone say, Brad, I I need to set a time uh, to talk with you, and we sit down, and they talk like that, it happens. And sometimes I talk like that. There are two things going on, at least. Uh, There's some good news and some bad news. The good news is, hey, you know what? Naomi is still doing business with God. She went to Moab. She could have dropped God. She could have picked up one of the gods, one of the many options that they had in Moab. But you know what? She comes home. She's still doing business with God. When I hear someone talk like that, I'm like, all right, we still have something to work with here. 
Because you're still engaged with God. Yes, you're upset at Him. Yes, you feel like He's been unfair to you. Yes, you're waiting for Him to step in. But you and Him are still doing business. That's the good news. The bad news is that uh, she, she has let her bitterness blind her. She is all about how God has been hard to her. And her bitterness has blinded her to the signs of hope and seeds of faithfulness that God has put in her life. She can't see them. Imagine this conversation taking place. Here's Naomi. She's standing here talking to her old friends after 20 years. And beside her is Ruth. And she's saying to her friends, my life, just call me bitter. Don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And her friends say, we're so sorry that's happened to you. We feel so bad for you. We are sorry. So who is that there with you? It's my daughter-in-law. I went away full, but I have come back empty. And they say, we feel so bad for you. That must hurt a lot. So what's her name? And why is she here? Listen, okay, this is, this is my daughter-in-law. Her name is Ruth. She just declared an oath of undying loyalty to me. Now, can we get back to me for a minute? I went away full, and I have come back empty, and all God has done is afflict me. Her blindness, her bitterness has blinded her to some big things that God's doing right now in her life. Right then and there, God is at work. And she's nearsighted. If she would just stop for a minute, if she would just revisit her knowledge of God's faithfulness, if she would just look around a little bit, she would see a huge sign of hope in her life. Ruth. I mean, Ruth has just left everything she's known to, to cling to Naomi and be part of her life. She has made a, such a lofty and unconditional commitment to Naomi that people still use those words that she spoke that day as marriage vows. Your people will be my people. It, Naomi has a person in her life so selflessly committed to her good and since you and I know the rest of the story, if you don't, you can sit down this afternoon and read it. You will learn that Ruth will be an integral part of all the good things that God's going to do in Naomi's life. God's going to take care of Naomi. He's going to watch over her. He's going to answer her desires. And he's going to do it through Ruth, who's right there beside her. Uh, Naomi can't see it right now, but if she'd just stop. It would be right there. There's another sign of hope. It's in the very last verse. Actually, both of these signs of hope are in the very last verse. Read the very last verse of uh, chapter 1. It says this, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess. Sign number 1. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. How does chapter 1 start out? Verse 1 says there's a famine. How does chapter 1 end? There's a harvest. 
You might miss it if you weren't reading carefully. But the harvest is mentioned here for an important reason. It's another sign of God's faithfulness. And it's meant at the end of the chapter to propel us into what happens next, which we'll get into next week. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. The last time Naomi had been in the house of bread, there was no bread. Now it's barley harvest. It tells us that God is still at work and there's more to this story. And in this harvest, I mean, this harvest is critical. In this harvest, not only will Naomi find food. I don't want to spoil the story for you. But in this harvest, Ruth is going to find a husband. Ruth is going to find a son. Ruth is going, uh, Boaz, someone we haven't even met yet, is going to find a wife and a son. Naomi, whose life is at rock bottom right now, is going to find security and a son. Israel... We're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Is going to find a king in this harvest. And the world is going to find a savior in this harvest. So, as the chapter ends, two signs of hope. Ruth and a harvest. Naomi's bitterness has blinded her to that. So what can we learn? First, we can look to, learn to look for signs of God's faithfulness. One of the things I'd like to ask you to do is while we take our offering, that is a little bit of a change, you know, but as we, take, as we give our offering this morning, I want you to turn your sermon notes over, find a piece of paper, and I want you to think about three signs of God's faithfulness in your life. Three signs that God is faithful to you right now. That might be a loving spouse. You may be going through something awful, but you have a spouse who, is, who loves you and is devoted to you. You may have supportive children. You may have Jesus followers who support you. You may have just the assurance of God's Spirit living in you that, that, that He is with you. You know what? Even the fact that you're here this morning listening to this is a sign of God's faithfulness in your life. So I want you, before you leave this morning, write down, Three things. We'll, do, we'll have time to do that in a minute. Three signs of God's faithfulness. And let that be an encouragement to you as you leave this morning. The second thing goes back to the other principle. Look for people in your life who need selflessness. They need your love and kindness. Look for people in your life where you are the one in position to help them. Even if you're not feeling awesome. Don't use your hardship to make life hard for other people. Instead, let your hardship make you more empathetic and more effective at reaching other people whose lives are hard. There are some great opportunities to do this as we get into the holiday season. There are awesome opportunities to do this. Operation Christmas Child. We're going to give a big offering during the month of December for Reverberate that we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to spend less so that we can give more. And as we give a collective offering in the month of December, we're going to give that away to three critical needs that are going to make a difference in our valley. So think about how even at rock bottom, God might use you in this beautiful way. And think about ways that you can continue to act with love and kindness in the lives of the people around you. So with those two principles and something to do as we give our offering, I want to pray for you and then Thad will come. I want to pray for you and then give you some time to think about signs of God's faithfulness 
in your life. If you haven't sat down yet to read the book of Ruth, you could do that too before uh, we see each other next week. Let me pray. Father, uh, we're reminded that uh, 3,000 years ago, you were at work in the lives of ordinary people, showing them that you're paying attention. I know, God, that that you are doing the same thing today. Some of us are at rock bottom this morning. Not all of us. Many of us have been there. Some of us are on our way that we just don't know the future, but we know that you are at work in our lives. And I want to pray for people who are here this morning for uh, those who really need to hear this word, this sign of your faithfulness. Let them know that even their presence here this morning is a sign that you have not given up on them and you are still engaged with them. And show them, help us all to see the signs of your faithfulness in our lives that you put there to help us continue in the things you've called us to do. Continue this good work in us, God, and help us to continue to be your people who act with love and kindness even when we're in hardship ourselves. Teach us through Naomi's actions today and help us to live as your people. Amen.